Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coming In for a Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I know many of you are probably quite confused. What? Liberty Ballers Podcast Network coming in for a landing. Yes, uh, this podcast is back. We are reviving the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, and we are so excited to do so ahead of a what promises to be a pretty monumental series, I would think, certainly for the Sixers and for the Celtics um, in this second round. And I am joined by Will Weir, who uh, is one of the hosts of the Green with Envy uh, podcast on the Blue on Blue Wires uh, podcast network. Uh, recently migrated over to there, so please make sure to check it out. But Will, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's a pleasure to meet you through uh, through Streamyard. Yeah, man, uh, excited to be here. Like you said, pretty monumental series. You know, you get two fan bases like Philly and Boston together. You know, what could go wrong? I'm sure it will remain very civil. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you and I will just be saying nothing but nice things to each other on Twitter <laughs> the entire series. No, but I, I'm curious. You know, it, it was weird for, for Sixers fans and for people covering the team, and I'm sure it was weird for the Sixers because they took care of business. They clearly a very big talent disparity between them and the Brooklyn Nets. They win in four games, and they've been sitting for a week, yeah. uh, over a week. It's it's wild um, that they're going to have, like, like nine days off between playoff games, which just doesn't happen. It's like a training camp. It's so bizarre. Um, and some players apparently took it upon themselves to have some fun, which I don't. Yeah, I, I was going to go there, fun. but you beat me to it. So uh, listen, have some fun, James. I don't care. It's an, it's an off day. You want a series. I'm good with it. Clear, like, and if you watch that series against Brooklyn, clear your head, man. I'm good with it. Like go, go recalibrate. I'm fine. Um, but no, I, I, I'm just curious, you know, we all got to watch the the Hawks and Celtics series a little bit more closely than perhaps we would have um, if the Sixers were in a tougher series themselves. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of Trey Young love around here, which was very weird, very weird to uh, to see after what we went through a couple of years ago. So for you, I'm just curious what where you are, like what's your temperature with the team? Are you feeling better, worse, about the same after the six games with the Hawks? Yeah, I mean, it, it's all about life is all about timing, right? So if you had asked me this question after, you know, the, the night after the morning after game five, it's a very different answer. Go back to our podcast feed. Myself and one of our co-hosts, Adam Taylor, had a basic therapy session uh, the next morning. But it, but it felt it felt needed at the time. But we're, we're 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 past that. And so, you know, when you look back on the totality of the Celtics Hawk series, you know, I, I was feeling very confident about the Celtics team coming into the postseason. And despite, you know, the the collapse that happened at the end of game five, I still walk away feeling feeling pretty good about that series. And specifically, you know, the last five minutes of of game six, when the Celtics really needed to turn it on, they turned it on. They turned it on in a major way with both of their stars making plays, getting contributions from the role players in, you know, in different areas. And so heading into the series, I'm, I'm kind of I've, I've kind of reset my level. I'm back to feeling pretty good about the Celtics team. And, you know, when you look at the landscape of the Eastern conference, 
I'm, that that certainly plays a part in it where it's it's a bit chaotic right now from an injury standpoint from upsets um you know it, it the Celtics are certainly in a position that they're they're in the driver's seat you know they have home court advantage for the remainder of the NBA playoffs because of the chaos that's happened so despite them being the only series in the first round in the Eastern Conference to to go the length of six games uh, I, I think most Celtics fans would say today as we look towards you know game one on Monday night we're, we're back to a positive mind state which you know as a Celtics fan as a, as a Philly fan you know that that's a very fleeting sensation oh yeah and by the time we get through you know maybe the first quarter Monday night that could all change but right. for right now and at least over this weekend where I, I think we're in a we're in a good place right and it does it, it with the playoffs it's so weird because things literally change from game to game so you're feeling so so low and so high and it, it is amazing how once you're done this series you can kind of recalibrate and be like okay like the Celtics are still really good. Like, <laughs> there's sure. a reason why they had, you know, they had the second best record in the NBA. There's a reason why they're here, and and I, I I would agree too. Like when I watching that series, they just let that they they put it on cruise control in, in Game Five, and that was very clear. Like they were the better. Like it was so apparently obvious that they were the better team, mm-hmm. and, and I agree with you. Too. Like Game Six in the third quarter, I'm thinking to myself, man. The Hawks might actually force a game seven. This might actually happen. But then they had that stretch the Celtics where it's like, okay, like we're done messing around. Let's go. Let's let's step on their throats yeah. and let's get this done. I, I mean, in that game six, they came out and they kind of the first five minutes, they felt like they were setting setting a right. tone. The first, and so I joked that, you know, if we could bottle up the first five minutes of that game and the last five <laughs> minutes, that's kind of the Celtics version. And that's always been, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about where I think the Sixers, you know, may be able to to find some space in this series, is that the Celtics are consistently inconsistent in a lot of ways they have these very high peaks that they can get to and that i think at times they think that they can snap into a little bit quicker than they actually can in reality because they've done it before and so their peaks i think are you know i think they're the best in the league when they're at their when they're at their absolute peak there's only them and a handful of teams that are going to be in that area but it's how consistent that's what makes a great team that's where i don't think the nba right now has a great team there's a lot of good teams but there's no one great right now and so that's what i think makes this playoff so interesting and and for the celtics you know if they can find a way to get there more frequently than not you know that's going to be the difference in in them being able to take the the proper next steps I mean, look at it. The, the team with the best record in the NBA is done. Exactly. So that kind of says it all. We're, we're talking about parity. You're talking about maybe they're not being uh, a team that's particularly great. You're looking at a team like the Heat who, man, I mean, I watched that team and I thought this is not like, you know, the regular season. This is not a good team. Like, this is a bad team. Um, and now all of a sudden they look, um, you know, unbeatable. I'm sure. I mean, they gonna... closed out that series with Jimmy Butler, Cody Zeller, Caleb Martin, <laughs> Max Struess, and Gabe Vincent on the floor. Like, right. I mean, I mean, number one, that tells you just how absurdly amazing Jimmy Butler has been yes. in no, these playoffs. But but just shows you how <laughs> flawed a team, even like the number one seed of Milwaukee Bucks, can be in this in this postseason. Yeah, and it's and it's matchups too, right? I mean, matchups are such a big part of all of this. And I I saw there was numbers where basically the Heat. That the Bucks will basically allow you to kill them with twos, and the Heat said, "Okay, bet," and they just made a bunch of twos, and it killed them because they, yeah. you know, especially like a guy like Jimmy Butler who is so good in that area of the floor, who doesn't need to get all the way to the rim, and you know, takes kind of three pointers when he wants to take three pointers, which is um, in the postseason because he can make them. Yes. Apparently, I don't, I don't know why, I don't know what changes the lines the same distance, but for some reason <laughs> he he can just make them in the postseason and not in the regular season. I'll, I'll always bring this up, so. 
when he was here and they played Toronto in, in the second round and it was game two. They took game two in Toronto. I was actually there in Toronto mm-hmm. covering the series. And when they came home, he took 10 threes in game two. I think he only made, I think he was like three of 10, which yeah. yeah, not great, but he had a great game otherwise. And then also when you're playing with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, you kind of have to take a lot of threes. It's just something everyone Someone's else has space to do. The floor. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, when I asked, I, I asked him a question. I'm like, you know, do you realize like you took 10 threes? That's the most you've ever taken in your career. He literally looked at me and goes, ain't that some shit? It's just like, <laughs> he's just so like, he is such a unique dude um, in every possible way. And he's such a great player. But um, to bring it back to the Celtics and the Sixers, I'm so curious with the coaching battle because mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty obvious how most of Philadelphia feels about Doc Rivers. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm curious from someone on the outside looking in how people, how the, how the people in Boston and how, how Celtics fans um, look at Joe Missoula. And if they, you know, you know, Ime Udoka, I think it was clear that was a coaching advantage, you know, um, mm-hmm. when we're just talking about coaching and doing stuff yeah. in a basketball frame of mind, um, he was great. And there's a big reason why they went to the finals. Um, Missoula obviously did, you know, a pretty darn good job in the regular season because they won 57 games and they were the second best team in the NBA. But w- what is the feeling with the coach? How, how do Celtics fans view Joe Mazzulla in his first year? It's a great question, man. Uh, <laughs> and just by that pause, I think you can, I think you can tell it's a, it's a little bit confusing to, to be fully honest. So uh, on our show, are you a Seinfeld fan by any chance? Oh yeah. Big time. Okay. So we typically refer to Joe Missoula as crazy Joe Missoula reference to crazy <laughs> Joe Devola there for any Seinfeld fans that are, Love it. that are, that, that are listening. And you know, a little bit, some of that's his personality. I think he's a little bit robotic in his personality. His, his dealings with the media are at times, you know, borderline just odd. It's, it's like as if he's yeah. learning to speak to humans for the first time. And so, you know, just the experience of Joe Missoula this year has been quite a roller coaster because you'd look at the, you know, first 25 games or so when this team was setting, you know, they would have set all time offensive marks by miles, by miles and miles. And of course, the, you know, the way the NBA is right now, the last five years, mostly all top offensive rated teams come from the last five years or so, but they were still miles ahead in that department. A lot of that was this Missoula ball, as they're calling it, a lot of pace, a lot of threes getting out there and and really a focus on that that offensive side of the ball as we've gone throughout the season we've seen you know I mean he's, he's still a rookie head coach here's the thing that we always have to kind of remember this is a really weird scenario the Celtics have now had three different head coaches in three straight years you know from Brad Stevens to Udoka down to Joe Mazzullo who's also 34 years old I'm 33 turning 34 I mean our, our show is comprised of 33 34 35 year olds we're the same age as the guy that's a head coach of the Boston Celtics right mm-hmm. now and this is his first year doing it and so you know there's been some hiccups he does like to experiment uh i mean last night look at game six for example you know towards the end of the game (laughs) you know we we hopped on the podcast afterwards and we were saying it it felt a little bit like a hockey game i mean he was shuffling guys in and out one minute it was grant williams next minute rob williams was out there peyton pritchard snuck in there for a minute towards the end of the game (laughs) and so it it was it's always been a little bit of a guessing game but it worked right so last night he was pushing all the right buttons at other times, it feels like the controller got trapped underneath the couch and buttons are being pressed for him. And we can't understand any of the moves that he's making. You know, great Blake Griffin had a five and a half minute stint for some reason in the fourth quarter of, of game five, which 
I still can't find a way to fully explain how someone who hasn't <laughs> played the entire series is, is chosen in that moment. Why Grant Williams wasn't out there who then played 17 minutes, played more minutes than Rob Williams did in game six. When you're you know thinking about Trey young and not wanting to, to fall into that drop coverage too often and get burnt. So he's a bit of a wild card. That's that, that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, sometimes it feels like he has the pulse of this team. Other times it, it feels like, you know, maybe he needs to do a little bit. He needs to do a little bit more. And that sometimes comes in the form of this low hanging fruit, which has been a very constant debate. And it's come up a lot in this postseason with other coaches too, is the use of timeouts. Right. And that's something as fans, you can kind of look to, and it's easy to grab onto. Oh, I would have called a timeout there. Cause I, I can't tell you what I would have called for a sideline out of bound action, or I'm in that coffin corner. What's, what's going to be the play call I need. I, I, Joe Missoula is far, far more advanced, but I can sometimes rationalize, Hey, I think this is a good time for a timeout. And too often the Celtics are ending games or, going down the stretch where they have one, two timeouts in their pockets. And it's kind of inexplicable. And there's parts where we understand that Missoula wants to play with pace. It's very big with him and his offense and his coaching philosophy. And he wants to play through these. And that's fine. I think that's something that you need to kind of experiment with. But we've never really seen the other side of that experiment where, hey, what if we call a timeout, maybe call a play, <laughs> maybe slow down this 11 to 2 run that the opposing team is on to kind of, you know, quell that momentum at a certain point. So it, I think it's a little bit split because it's hard to argue with a coach that finished with the regular season record the Celtics did. They finished second place in the entire league. You know, he's a rookie head coach who came in under pretty absurd circumstances the night before training camp and then was the interim head coach until we hit the all-star break so it, it depends what day and what week that you're asking <laughs> this question um but i think it's definitely a wild card heading into into the series well i can tell you that for sixers fans it is pretty decided um with doc rivers um i can tell you yeah that what, what is the vibe with with philly fans and doc rivers <laughs> i mean from an outside perspective i know it's not great but what are kind of the main grievances that that, so, that continue to pop up yeah so i'll say this um i'm not sure that doc rivers is the right coach for this team and mm -hmm. i find myself defending him more than anything else just to give you an idea of what well, that's not like. a good start yeah it's not a good start. no um and I get the, the gripes a lot. A lot of the, I think a lot of the gripes are legitimate. Um, when you're talking about, um, you know, like in game four, he decided he was going to play Montrez Harrell. He has not played Montrez Harrell in meaningful minutes in a long time. And there's a reason why yeah. he has not played Montrez Harrell in meaningful minutes in a long time. Um, so when he just decided to do that in game four, it's stuff like that that leaves pre people pretty dumbfounded. Um, he does have this. And it's not obviously last year it was DeAndre Jordan, that same situation with, with him beat out and DeAndre Jordan picked up all the big minutes. He has this allegiance to certain guys. I will say that since the all-star break, he's been much better with that. Um, Cause Paul Reed took over as the backup center and was in, I can't, there's, I don't know if there's numbers, that, the numbers probably don't back it up, but if you just watch the games, Mm -hmm. Paul Reed is significantly better at basketball than Montrez Harrell on both ends of the floor or any option really they have other than, you know, PJ Tucker's kind of the wild card as far as backup fives go. Cause he is pretty darn good when he does it. Um, and he's had the, they did have success going to those lineups um, specifically against the Celtics at times and against some other teams. Uh, some of the, the tougher opponents where Doc Rivers went to that. So I think that's one of the big gripes is him kind of riding 
with guys that maybe he shouldn't ride with because of a, a loyalty or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he got in the, trouble with literally the same player in Los Angeles when you look yes. back to that Nuggets Clippers collapse. Yep. So, yep, yep, yep. And uh, so for why he goes back to that player, I have no idea. But um, and listen, Montrezl, hell of a nice guy, really good dude, um, and I like him a lot. But just not, it's just not there. It, it, and especially with this team, and you're playing him with George Niang, which nope can't do that yeah uh, that's just that's a lineup here and then also of course again james harden playing point guard so you're asking a lineup with james harden george niang and matras harrell to defend anyone and that's you're asking for trouble right off the bat but for sure i would say that into uh rotation wise just he just he went with all bench units at times he has not done that again since like the all-star break but when he did it it's just it, it, and i guess too like the bench heavy stuff like there are t- there are times where he just goes Harden and in four bench guys, which yeah. sometimes works out pretty well because it gives Harden kind of the spacing he needs. You know, he has a he has a lob threat and Paul Reed he can play with. Uh, he's got shooters. He's got athleticism when he's putting in Jalen McDaniels on the wing or, you know, playing next to DeAnthony Melton. He's got defense with those guys out no. there, too. So it kind of does work. Um, but I do think there are ways where he could perhaps, uh, you know, space those minutes out a little bit better. So I think those are the, those are kind of the biggest gripes is really just his use of players that perhaps he shouldn't be using um, and overusing players. And like, that's to me, one of the biggest things I worry about in this series is George Niang against the Celtics, because George Niang did not play well at all against the Celtics. You could see he is at such an athletic disadvantage. He's such a great shooter. And when he gets hot, he can literally change games. Like he's that good of a shooter where he can get it going. He's got such a quick release um, and teams tend to forget about him. But uh, I, you know, to me, I'm either going to eight guys or I'm using Daniel House over him, but we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are the probably the biggest. That's really it with Doc Rivers. It's just that yeah. usage. But then it comes back to everything becomes Doc Rivers' fault because of that now. Um, like everything. And, like and, when and shots get, don't and, go in, it's Doc Rivers' fault. Yeah, or like exactly like James Harden can't make a layup against the Nets, mm-hmm. and somehow that's Doc Rivers' fault. Um, and, and uh, you know, he did overuse James Harden I thought I thought too many probably too many minutes for for a guy like Harden who's 33 years old coming off a serious hamstring injury winds up having an Achilles injury now to close out the year so I don't even really know how healthy Harden is right now I think he's like healthy enough to go to Vegas yeah well healthy enough to go to well you don't you know you don't (laughs) I probably don't need two legs for that that's That's true that's um, true that's true finishing at the rim you probably need two legs for um (laughs) but yeah so I, I think some things there and then there was there was a weird thing during the middle of the year where um, he was bringing Tyrese Maxey off the bench after Maxey came back from his foot, a uh, broken foot, and he was leaving DeAnthony Melton in the starting lineup, which it made sense be- uh, for a minute because they mm-hmm. weren't playing really well that way. But then there was a point where Melton was struggling and Maxey was struggling, and it's kind of like, all right, he probably waited like I don't know five or six games too a long, bit too long. To, well, to I, switch that up, and I, I am a, I am a little curious about that, yeah. Because so so one of our co-hosts, Adam Taylor, was huge on DeAnthony Melton. I like DeAnthony Melton, but th- that yeah. was kind of one of his guys. I think it was a really good pickup. I like DeAnthony Melton. Absolutely. He's certainly a playoff rotation guy. My biggest thing of why you know it was a good move, but wasn't one that for me was you know groundbreaking was because you know to to best utilize him he's going to have to be on the court with one of Maxi or, or Harden, right? You're not going to play all three. We can't play all three of them together. Just the size disadvantage and the, and the you defense. Might. Only, the only reason I'd say you might is because Harden tends to do much better guarding up than he does guard That's down. Fair. That is fair. And, and Melton actually, 
I would say maybe is the opposite. I think Melton actually guards better up a little bit. Um, like has that you know, been a lineup done... though? That's been that's been they, utilized. They've much? used it. You know what? If, if I'm being honest, I think they could have used it more. But I will. I, I think this in the playoffs, what it's looked like and what it's looked like down the stretch is Harden and Melton do play together, and they play like that that all bench unit, you yeah. know, or a bench heavy unit, I should say. And a Maxi and and B tend to be tied together. Um, if, is that the right move? I don't know. Um, should I? But I. I would I would be in favor of a lineup that has Maxi and Harden and Melton in it because you know Harden did gets a lot out of Maxi and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I think they play really, really well off each other. So um and I wouldn't be surprised if you see it in this series because I yeah. think Melton Melton can handle covering a Jalen Brown or a Jason Tatum. Like he can guard up like that. Like he's not, you know, he's not gonna he's not as good as, you know, you know, randomly Tobias Harris has become a good defender and has done really yeah. well against Tatum. So he's not to that level but he can handle it. I mean, he's not going to get torched um, in those matchups. So I would like to see that. Yeah, but, I think that's uh, an interesting lineup for you guys that are yeah. out there. Like I said, that's one that I haven't seen too much. And traditionally, I kind of think of just to, to stay somewhat big. You know, you have Embiid, you have Tucker, you have Tobias, and then you would have Melton in one of the two out there. You know, but I think all three of them on the court. And then would you guys typically t- tend to lean? Would it be Tobias Harris or PJ Tucker at that four spot? With that lineup, it would probably be. I mean, it would probably be. See, it gets tough, tough That's, because uh, it's with really the bench heavy with units. That. With the bench heavy units, what Doc has done recently, and again, I applaud him for this because this is actually very good that he's done this. Mm-hmm. Is when he's gone to those units and Niang's been at the four. If that lineup struggles, he'll put Tobias Harris right in at the four to yeah. kind of make up for that. And I think that's been a good move because Tobias can give you some complimentary scoring. He can hit an open shot and he's become a much better defender. So for all of those reasons, he fits in much better with that lineup than George Niang does. But, uh, and I think too, like they have Tucker clearly gives them more versatility because he can really play three through five. Um, Harris can play the three or the four at this point. They have a, a, you know, Jalen McDaniels can kind of play two through four. Um, You know, so I, I think they have so much more versatility than they've had really probably with any team during the Joel Embiid era. So that's, so that's been really big. So I guess kind of maybe feeding off that a little bit. uh, One of the things I think the Celtics have the biggest advantage with in the series, really one, one, I think why I believe that they have, you know, one of the best chances to win the whole thing is depth. I mean, they are just such a deep basketball team. Um, When you're talking about guys like Derek, White, I mean, Derek White has started, but you know, Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon would, could start for, you know, I don't know, 28 other teams. Like they could start a lot for them, a yeah. lot of teams in the NBA. They're, they're damn good basketball players. So um, do you view that as the Celtics had a biggest advantage, you know, this series going forward, or do you see anything else that, that really jumps out of you that says, okay, this is how, like, th- this is how they're going to beat the Sixers um, in the series. Yeah. I mean, I think their depth and versatility are, are the two biggest things that the Celtics offer. And so to that depth point, you know, we say a lot of times the Celtics have seven starters because right now when you're bringing Malcolm Brogdon, who just won six man of the year, and you're bringing Robert Williams, who started all of last year, started the majority of the time that he was healthy this year until they kind of stumbled into him coming off the bench in part because of Derek White, who you mentioned has just been so effing good this year that you couldn't keep him off the court. That's he's become a staple of this team. Almost every good five man unit you can find. There's a Derek White in there somewhere because he just does everything. And he seems to always just make the the right choices out there. And so I think with those seven, and then I think in this series, you're going to, we talked a little bit about Grant Williams kind of being, 
somewhat mysteriously absent in that Hawks series. He's going to be very, very much present depending on Joel Embiid's availability and, and all that, which I'm sure, you know, is, is going to play a major role in all of everything that we're talking. This is kind of, that's kind of the <laughs> elephant in the room hanging over everything that we're saying right now is Joel Embiid's health. But I think you mix in Grant Williams, you can go to a Sam Hauser if you need more shooting and he's someone that can play five, 10 minutes and throw him in and say, hey, does he get hot and hit two out of three shots in a five minute stint? And so, you know, I think for the Celtics, that depth and then the versatility within that, because you can go double big with Al Horford and Rob Williams. If you want to call Grant a big, you can go Grant with either one of the two of them. Jason Tatum has become a rebounding monster. So even when you're when you're taking off, you know, a double big and Jason Tatum is playing the theoretical four, you know, he just closed out the Atlanta Hawks the other night with 14 rebounds. Him getting double digit rebounds is no longer, oh, hey, that was a nice game. It's almost an expectation. He was up to around eight, nine rebounds per game this year. And that's been something that's continuing to increase. And then you look at the perimeter availability, you have Marcus Smart, former defensive player of the year a year ago. Derek White likely to be on the all-defensive team this year. Malcolm Brogdon, another big size guard. So you were talking about some of the guards on Philly that can can guard up and can guard down a little bit. Celtics have kind of that same versatility. Last year, we consistently referred to Marcus Smart as, you know, typically you hear small ball five with P.J. Tucker or Draymond Green. I, we kind of think of Marcus Smart as almost a big ball one. You know, he's a guy that if he gets caught in, you know, Joel Embiid's kind of his, his own monster, but, you know, he's guarded Porzingis many a time. You know, we've had Marcus Smart as a guy that sometimes we can't figure out what to do with the big. We might throw Marcus Smart and just see what happens because we've seen yeah. him do it and do it successfully. So he can guard across basically all of that spectrum. And then you get Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, two guys that can kind of go both up and down a little bit, depending on what you're looking for. Al Horford getting older, but can still get out there. Not really with like Max, he would give him a lot of problems, but Harden reduced. He could at least hang with, make it difficult. You know, I think same with Melton, some other perimeter guys that you have. And then you have Rob Williams sitting for it there waiting for you at the basket who, you know, as long as he's healthy, which is always a question mark with Rob Williams, he's one of the best shot blockers in the league. So you have this versatility, you have a lot of spacing, a lot all of those guys minus Rob Williams shoot three pointers. When you look to the offensive side, you have several of which, you know, between Derek white Brogdon smart and the two J's that can all go off the bounds that can get to the rim. They're all solid passes, shoot pass and dribble. Those are the main components of just the game of basketball, but you're looking for that. And the Celtics have a lot of guys that do all of that and can do so in a versatile way. And so, you know, back to the Joe Missoula point, this is where he does a lot of experimenting of here's what he thinks is working. And sometimes fans disagree, but he has a lot of options. And so I'd rather have seven, eight options and you're trying to find the mix as opposed to you look at, you know, a team like Cleveland, they knew they had four, they couldn't mm. figure out a fifth. And once if the four start to falter, you know, now you're down to three and you're in a whole lot of trouble. And that's why they're at home. And so for a team like the Celtics, it feels like they have, you know, seven and then Grant Williams and Hauser in their own little box of, hey, we still, you know, there's a, there's a nine man kind of rotation. That's not even counting Peyton Pritchard, who I think could play in most rotations, but just isn't going to see the court with this team. And so, yeah, I do think that that's a really big advantage in that I think, you know, from a Celtics perspective, they match up pretty well with, with a lot of what Philadelphia does. I'm with you. I agree. Um it's you didn't sound very happy about that. <laughs> no, of course not. Um, no, but the chess match is going to be it's going to be really fascinating because I do think, again, Doc has more more at his disposal than he's ever had. Um, again, I still, you know, the, the, I with you know, hands down, the Celtics are the deepest team in the NBA. I, there's I don't think anyone would could could possibly mount an argument to, yeah. the, to the contrary. Um, the Sixers are better. That's the only thing. And it is better to have. 
like he's like you know you're mentioning you know a guy like uh like hauser you know that that could play might not play but you know if he you know but uh, the sixers have a guy like daniel house who really athletic really energetic um can you know certain matchups defensively can be mm-hmm. very very good if he's kind of on and if he's on that particular night can hit some shots yeah so yeah it's it, it I, i'm interested to see that chess match of who does Missoula use? Who does Doc use? And who do they counter if anyone has success? What's the counter move? Um, like I was really intrigued. I think it was the the game that the that the Celtics won on the Tatum three um, yep. in Philly. To me, that that matchup was like that was the game where it was most both teams were like themselves. If that makes sense, like that was both teams. Yeah, the last game of like, the year, Celtics were missing nah, some guys. It was, yeah, and, and Embiid had to be. In, I mean, he, that was probably his MVP stamp of approval oh, yeah. game, right? The fifty-two points. Absolutely. Um, but to your point, I think that was that was kind of the the game that I think most represents what this series could look like with with both teams firing on all cylinders. Right, and I, I think the one the one adjustment the Sixers made in that game. Um, and then they got away from it for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> was uh, having um, Joel guard Rob and kind of serve as a roamer. Um, and that really seemed to muck up the Celtics offense in the third quarter. And that's where they took the lead. And if you recall, the Sixers starters sensational in that game. But where did it go south? When both teams dipped yeah. into the bench and the Celtics just had such a big advantage. And I think one of your points. I think it's a really good point. You know, the idea of guys that can just shoot, pass and dribble. I mean, that that's what the issue is. Cause listen, Joel Embiid, uh, I think he's a little underrated in his ability to people just think, Oh, he just, he just plays drop coverage and that's it. But he actually has a pretty good ability to switch. The issue is you don't want him doing it for 40 minutes. Yeah. That's, that's where the problem comes in because he's, he's just a big human being and you're relying on him to do so much. You don't want to ask him to do that for 40 minutes. Um, so I, I think they're, you're, you're going to see a pretty good mix of those coverage. I think you even saw that in the last game. Um, Tatum took advantage. It seemed like it was a really good kind of chess match between him and Tatum where a couple of times Tatum beat him a couple of times. He was able to stone Tatum. Like it was just really interesting. And I just, I'm just so curious to see how all of that's going to play out. And I don't think either team was showing much in that last game, kind of to what yeah. points, like, um, the Celtics had a bunch of guys out. The Sixers, I think, were, were playing it very, very vanilla. It almost felt like a game where it was like, okay, let's try to get Joel and be the MVP and, yeah. and, and, and then shut it down for the season, it almost felt like. Um, on, on the kind of reverse side of that, you know, the last two games, Joel and B was really good against the Celtics. 52 um, in, that, in that last game, 41, I think it was in the prior game. Mm-hmm. And as I said, the, the Sixers starters – beat the Celtics starters. Um, so that's, if you're looking for, you know, a sign of optimism with the Sixers, yeah. it's there. Um, so I guess in watching, you know, cause I, and I say, I'd say this too, like the first two games, I would say I literally throw out three of the four games of season. First game was <laughs> this, like, like the, it was first the very game, first game of the season, right? Very first game of the season. Joel beat had plantar fasciitis. He was just coming back from um, Harden was actually terrific in that game. If you recall, <laughs> funny enough. Um, but so, yeah, I, I throw that game out the window. The second game was the one where the Celtics were missing a bunch of guys, and the Sixers yeah. just said, like, ah, we're going to win this game, and that didn't happen. Yep. But uh, And then the last game, the Celtics just had a bunch of guys out, and you just can't even uh, take that game seriously either. I think, that again, that game was the most indicative um, of how they match up. But with all that said, where do you see the Celtics kind of Achilles? Like, where do you think they can be beaten, and where do you think the Sixers – um, have the personnel or or the scheme mm-hmm. or whatever that that matches up well. So there's two things here, and and one of them, you know, I said there's two. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, well, one of them's not great because I think it's, I mean, it's Joel Embiid because he's a mismatch for everybody. Yeah. So, and once again, this LCL injury, which is an injury I'm not familiar with, and I'm sure every one of you, yourself included, your listeners have been come, gone on WebMD a bunch of times in the last week or so to try to figure out what that means. And, and I how... actually live with an athletic trainer. So she can you, literally can you explain was, it to me what, 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 she what was it is breaking cause... out the, her, her literal, her, her medical sports athletic training books yeah. and reading to me and then showing me charts of what an LCL is. It's hard to explain, but it's like the, the basic thing is this, if it's a minor sprain, they say one to two weeks, but you'll need a brace. Uh, one to yeah. two weeks to return to play. Yeah. So he'll be at like 11 days, I think. So yeah. he's right kind of in that area. So who knows? I don't know. Um, maybe he'll play. Maybe he won't. Um, I don't think it's gamesmanship either. I legit think they don't know. Yeah, um, I, I don't think it is either. I, I, I referenced on, uh, to me, it was a little bit like Kevin Garnett, 2009, the year after the Celtics championship. He hurts his knee in Utah, and there's just never a definitive timeline. It's always three weeks, ramping up the play, and literally the whole postseason, it was he's running sprints, or what's he doing now? And, you know, ultimately, he yeah. never came back. And so, you know, with Embiid, I don't know that that's going to be the case, but it feels as far as, you know, just not knowing what any type of timeline is could be that. And so, you know, Embiid, depending on his health, he, he's just a, he's just a mismatch for anybody in this league. He's so freaking dominant in the different ways that he can do it. Uh, he knocks down all of his free throws and, you know. I think some Celtics fans will tell you he flops more than I actually think he does. I think he's also <laughs> such a big freaking human being. He's legitimately getting fouled. Does he sell it now and then because he does have a, a newer age game? Of course. But I, I still think the majority of those free throws are, are pretty legitimate. So I'm not going to be one to, to rail into that too much. But he can beat you from the outside. He can beat you in the post. He can dominate you like a Giannis Shaq down low. You know, I think the Celtics have... I always say that if Embiid's a unicorn, the Celtics have a kind of stable of bigs to try to oppose him. And so it's more to slow him down. They're not going to stop him. So if he yeah. is healthy, that's the number one thing. Because I think really for Philadelphia to win this series, he's going to have to be not just good and available, but special and, and yes. really, really <laughs> special for that to happen. So so that's number one. But a lot of that is so you know health-related that – I don't want to spend too much time on that. The other the other factor here, I think, is Tyrese Maxey. And I think Maxey is going to have to have a big series. The The way that he plays with his speed and his ability to, to kind of be a changeup, and that's one thing I've always loved when I do turn into a Sixers game, is because you have Harden and Embiid. All right, let's walk the ball up the court. Let's get this into <laughs> our pick and roll. And then at times, you just throw in Tyrese Maxey, and he's shot out of a cannon, and he's up the court in three dribbles, and he's got a layup, and or he's running down and hitting a you know a pull-up three-point shot. And it, it's just such a, a – you know, it's a Pedro Martinez changeup with a fastball mixed in there. And it's it's really hard to, to defend it. I think it sometimes can give you a lot of trouble. And Maxey's the type of guy that, that offensively has given the Celtics trouble in the past. And so I think him – I think Derek White is going to be the guy that gets the majority of responsibility against Tyrese Max. So that individual matchup, I think, is going to be huge. Um, I think Smart will do a lot on Harden. He's always guarded Harden fairly well. And with Harden having lost a you know a step or two, not being able to blow by guys, that, that really works in Smart's favor because Harden now will try to use his physicality, which he won't be able to do quite as much with Marcus. Smart and Marcus are just going to dig in. And they, they've had some battles in the past, even dating back to you know his time in Houston. 
And so I think a lot of it comes down to Maxie and White. Maxie's going to have to be a guy that can find a way to get going for, you know, 25 plus in a lot of these games for, for I think, for Philly to, to really, you know, especially depending on Joel and Joel's health, to, to have a chance. And, you know, to just mention Derek White's likely going to be on the all defensive team. This was one of his best seasons. And, and so I think him versus Maxie, I wouldn't necessarily say this is to your question was what's the advantage. I don't know that it's an advantage, but I think it's an area in which they're going to have to find a way to, to almost just like force the issue a little bit and make Maxi a bigger part than what he's maybe accustomed to being. Because I think the Celtics are going to have a lot of answers for James Harden. He's going to make some shots, but I think they're going to have a lot of answers for him. And B, depending on his health, that will be the big factor. And so Maxie's going to have a lot on his shoulders scoring-wise and, and being a real differentiator and being the type of player that every once in a while can give the Celtics a little bit of trouble because he's just so quick and so hard to contain that I think Philly's going to have to put a little bit more emphasis on Maxie having a higher usage rate than, than maybe what would be ideal for them. I think a lot of people in Philadelphia are – Definitely subscribing to what you're uh, selling right now because, yeah. um, <laughs> because uh, I mean, you see it. I mean, you know, g- game two against the Nets, I think he had 33 in, in, you know, in game three in the fourth quarter, he had, he ripped off like a 10, 10, five run, I think against the Nets. Um, he's just, once he gets going, he's just so good and he scores in bunches and um, it, it is a weird thing for him. And I'm actually, I'm uh, have something coming on Liberty Ballers later. Just when you're him and you're 22 years old, you're in your third NBA season, you're playing with a former MVP, one of the top 75 players of all time. You're playing with the guy who is probably going to win the MVP this year. Um, the two times scoring champ, two guys that are just, and just usage rate monsters. It can be hard. It, it mm-hmm. can be hard for him to kind of find that. And I know doc rivers has been really on him to like, sometimes the ball's like you have to go find the ball. The ball's not going to yeah. find you. I know that's like been a big thing. So I think that's to your point. I think sometimes he's going to have to find it. And yeah, I mean, this year, look, he struggled against the Celtics this year. Uh, he did not have great numbers uh, against them. I think Derek white is certainly a, a pretty big factor in that. I think that's a, a pretty good, a pretty tough, uh, tough opponent for him to go up against. Um, but with that said, I, I I'm with you that I, I think, I think he's too good to be held down for an entire best of seven series. Like, I think he's going to mm-hmm. have a game or two where you look back and say, like, he was the difference where, um, you know, yeah. potentially could be the difference. You know, this, the games, I would say probably the games that the Sixers win in this series. I think you might look at that. And those might be the games where you look in the box score and say, like, oh, Tyrese Maxey had had 30 tonight or he hit six threes tonight or whatever. Like, those are the games that I think the Sixers win because he yeah. is kind of the the wild card there. Um I will say there's, yeah, one, say, there's one other yeah. small advantage that I do think, and we'll see how this plays out, but this is, this is the one of the reasons you bring in P.J. Tucker. Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes when the Celtics are punched in the mouth, they can throw them off their game. And we, I mean, we've seen that with P.J. Tucker in many different stops. Just look at, you know, Miami last year, I think his physicality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. His, his physicality in which he's basically playing football instead of basketball out there, I think sometimes can can get into the Celtics head a bit and throw them off their game. Now, you know, we'll see because they're, we've now faced Tucker several times <laughs> in the postseason. Yeah. So they should be more prepared for it. But I think that's another area of you know bringing in tucker this is this is the whole reason you bring in tucker is, is to bring that type of type of chaos into this type of game i'm curious too like uh you, you mentioned you know tatum and his ability to rebound I, the rebounding battle is going to be really intriguing to me because the sixers were um 
a pretty poor rebounding team throughout most of the season. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, they played the Nets, who are not, who are also not a good rebounding team, but they they beat the crap out of the Nets on the glass. And I do think a big part of it is um, PJ Tucker, who I, I, listen, the guy's thirty seven years old. He's won a championship. He's played so many games. Like you could tell, he he was saving himself a little bit. He was coasting a little bit, and he yeah. he knew okay, it's playoff time. I got to get, we call it, we jokingly call it playoff PJ. I mean, that's where he is. He is playoff PJ. He's in that mode right now. Um, and it's rubbing off. And like, you, I, I think that's what's, what's, what's cool about Tucker just from covering this team all year is it, it rubs off on everyone. Like he, his attitude, the way he carries himself, he's super vocal. He is not afraid to yell at anybody on this team. And I like, it got brought up at practice the other day. It's yeah. Like he'll yell at Paul Reed. Uh, yeah. He'll yell at Tyrese Maxey. But he'll also yell at James Harden and he'll yell at Joel Embiid. Like he has that kind of cachet that he can get on anybody on the team and they will listen. Um, and, and I just throughout again throughout this Joel Embiid era, I think they've been rudderless at times where they haven't had a guy like that to just kind of stabilize them. A guy who's been there, who's done. It. And look, like Al Horford was here, and I think they hoped Al would provide a little bit, but that's just not Al's way. Like yeah. Al's a leader in other ways. It's just not him. He's not. He's not going to do what PJ Tucker does. Um, Clearly, Al Horford just over the course of a career, a much better basketball player. But um, for what the Sixers needed, PJ Tucker, um, just a much better fit. And I think he's yeah. I think you see um, the impact he's had and just the games that maybe they had. They wouldn't have won in the past. They're, they they've won this year. And I keep pointing out like so it's crazy to me. The Sixers from I think it's December 9th on. That's when they returned uh, from a home. They returned home for a homestand and Harden and Embiid had just gotten back in the lineup. They had the best record in the NBA by like yeah. a pretty good bit. Um, I think they were like six games or five games better than the Celtics. So that's what I think to me, this series. And now listen, I, we, we're, I'm going to ask you for your prediction. I'll give it my two, but yeah. I think this series is mu- again, pending on, as you already touched on Joel and yeah. health, how healthy he's going to be and, and what capacity he will play. If, if he does play, what capacity he'll be at, that's going to be a huge factor. But if that's, if all of that's even, I think this these teams are pretty evenly matched, perhaps more evenly matched than maybe what the outside folks think. Um, yep. Just so I get, how would you view that sentiment? And then what, what's your prediction overall for the series? Yeah, I, I mean, even even with Joel Embiid healthy, I'll be honest, we've I've always felt this is a pretty good matchup for the Celtics. And you know, you mentioned before this is a really good Philadelphia team, and at certain points in the year, I, I've posed the question you know, are the three best teams in the NBA in the East. And it doesn't look as great today with Milwaukee already sure. having been eliminated. <laughs> but at times this season, I really felt myself saying, you know, okay, whether it's Milwaukee, it's Boston or Philly that comes out, they're going to be favored to win the championship because that, that's how good I think that these three teams are. But I have always felt that Boston really matches up well with Philadelphia. I talked about, you know, Embiid's going to get, let's just say he's fully healthy. He's going to get his numbers. He's going to be awesome. And, you know, I've always said, like, listen, if you guys are worried about stopping Embiid, you're worrying about the wrong thing. Cause there's no one to stop him. No one stops Joel Embiid, right? It's how can you slow him down? How can you make him tired? How can you make him work and grind it out? And, you know, unfortunately every postseason we seem to get here and there's just another injury, but you know, with the Celtics, because they have Al Horford, as you mentioned, the former, former Sixer, you know, they have Al Horford, they have Grant Williams, they have Rob, they have enough size, enough guys that can at least, you know, give him enough trouble to to slow him down to make him work that it puts a lot of onus on the rest of the Sixers and 
you know, you, you look at the way that they match up. There's no advantage on the wings, you know, with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, just about nobody in the league is going to have an advantage there. Uh, I'm not a big Tobias Harris believer. Uh, the stats would tell you that he's better than I probably give him credit for. Uh, but I can't help but feel every time I watch Tobias Harris, I, he has potentially an eight to 12 minute run where I go, oh, OK, I, I maybe I am wrong. And then for the next 30 plus minutes, I forget he's on the court sometimes. And so it, it's just hard for me to think that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really tough. I've had this conversation with Philly fans before where some have pushed back. Some have been like, I know exactly what you mean. And yeah. uh, and it's a, it's an interesting combo. And so Celtics have been better, though. I, I will say just to, sorry. But yeah. like I'll say like um, I was really encouraged by how good he was. He was pretty good for them last postseason it kind of got lost mm-hmm. in the shuffle because they sucked in the second round and they kind of just yeah kind of just cratered against miami but he was really good against toronto he was pretty good against miami for the first few games and then the whole team fizzled out and then he was honestly he was like their best player against the nets i know it's not again yeah i get it talent discrepancy yada yada but like he I also mean, he has like, moments there, there's certain yeah, moments where it's I moments see is it. the way to put it yeah and... i would say like stretch and, and i but i think your, your point is fair in like You'll see stretches. You're like, okay, oh wow, maybe this guy is pretty good. And then I think it's still there, mm-hmm. but it's it's tilted a little bit more the other way. If that makes sense, like the yeah. stretches are a little bit longer where you think maybe he is something, and the stretches where you're like, oh no, I was way off, are a little bit less, but it's still there. I'll say, but that. but the point being is, you know, on the wings, you're still you're just not going to have an advantage, right? right. So. Totally. You, you, certainly Embiid has the advantage with the bigs. Solis are going to have the advantage on the wings. And then, you know, when you look to the backcourt, this is where I think in a vacuum you might say, hey, I might take Maxi, I might take Harden, uh, you know, over some of the guys the Celtics have. But when you look at both sides of the basketball, the way that the playoffs kind of slow down and the way that you need to take advantage, you talked about styles make fights. I, I, I'll take the Celtics in, in a playoff scenario, you know, one-on-one, whether it's like, hey, who would you rather have, you know, Tyrese Maxey or Malcolm Brogdon? I'm probably going to take Brog- I mean, excuse me, I'm going to take Tyrese Maxey. But when you look at these guards in totality and what they need to do on each side of the ball, their responsibilities on each side, you know, when you're playing Maxey and Harden, that that's a lot of pressure on your defense. And when you have guys, like I mentioned, that can pass, shoot, and dribble, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, they're going to go find them. They're going to go find those guys to, to get the advantage. You send the double. That's where the passing comes in. And then you got the shooting right there on top of it. So this has just always been a matchup that I think leans in the Celtics favor with the X factor of Joel Embiid. And as we talked about, you know, Maxi only in his third year. So there's always kind of that pop factor. Like, does he have something that we just haven't seen yet that I couldn't even account for? And <laughs> oh, crap, this is the time that Maxi goes and makes that jump. So, you know, I think when I look at the series, I've always felt good that this was a, a matchup. The Celtics, if healthy, we're, we're going to be in really good position for. And now when you factor in Harden started the postseason, maybe not 100 percent. We'll see what this week off, if that's helped him, maybe giving him a little bit more time. Joel Embiid still a matchup, massive question mark. So for this series, I was always leaning kind of Celtics in six out of respect to the greatness of, of Joel Embiid. But I really feel if he's if he's going to be out there, but not really out there he's just out there as a body this could be potentially a five game series but the Celtics have a way of not closing business when they need to so if this also goes seven you know I think that Hawks series should have been done in four or five and we got to six and it was sweating on my brow I don't have any hair to pull out but you know I was I was standing up pacing around the house and the end of game six so you know so there's a world in which this goes seven and then seven game seven is always going to be a crapshoot but you know my, my official prediction I would lean on is, is likely Celtics and six yeah, it's fair. 
I it's your points are fair. I can't really <laughs> combat most of it. Um, and again, the the Embiid factor is what's real. I mean, I even if Joel Embiid was fully healthy, I'm I'm not going to pick the Sixers. If I'm being really honest, I I, yeah. I just can't. Um, because it's possible though, there it's tough. I I I'm going to pick Boston in seven. Like you said though, when you get mm-hmm. to seven, weird stuff happens. But I just think yep. Boston at home uh, would take care of business. Um, and if it gets to that point and kind of to your point too, like if, if Joel Embiid has to work that hard for, for seven games, that's a lot to ask of him. And every so other like, night too, there's this, there's this right. except for, no I guess breaks. between game six and seven, there would game be six and seven. Two so actually off, maybe, but... yeah, no, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but it's, yeah, I, I, it's, and, and I think there is a little bit of, of uh, uh, and it's a sentiment that I think a lot of people in Philly feel it is a, they're not going to believe they can beat the Celtics until they beat the Celtics. And, um, I, you know, I mean, and beat said as much himself too. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I think it's, it's just, that's just, just such a, it's such a tough thing with, with, with his injury, because I do think he was really hungry this year, like hungrier than I, I've ever seen him. Um, and like focus too, just a, a different yeah. kind of focus, a different kind of mentality. So if he's anything close to a hundred percent, I, I could see this being a really, really tough series, but if he's not, then I mean, and, and listen, <laughs> frankly speaking, I mean, anybody they would play if Embiid's on Embiid, they're going to have a really hard time as we saw last sure. year, as we've seen in previous years um, with the numerous injuries that he's unfortunately encountered. Um, hate to end it on that somber note for Sixers fans. <laughs> so I apologize to all of you, but uh, Will, I'm really appreciative of you coming on and, and, and talking some Sixer Celtics with us. And just please let everyone know uh, where they can find your work and, um, yeah, where to check out your podcast. Yeah, well, for for some reason, you guys want some alternative coverage of the series <laughs> and uh, want to come check out what we have to say. You can find us over at Green with Envy. As Paul mentioned, we're part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Uh, it's myself. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Wilbon13, two L's in there. You can find our podcast at Green Envy Pod uh, across different social medias, uh, Instagram. Uh, you find us on YouTube. We'll be live uh, live streaming some some post-game reactions uh, throughout the series. Uh, it's myself. It's our other co-host, Greg Manakis, and our other co-host, Adam. Adam Taylor, who's also a writer for Celtics blog. Uh, we have a lot of fun. We crack a lot of jokes. Uh, it's a good time. So, like I said, if you if you want the other side of the coin, you want to see what the what the bad guys are saying, uh, come hang <laughs> with us for a little bit, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy yourself. Well, listen, Will, you don't seem like a bad guy, but I'm sure we're going to have some some ugly feelings towards each other. <laughs> Nothing personal by the end of this thing. But, thank Will, thank you so much for coming on, and I appreciate everyone for checking out the Coming In for Landing podcast, which has been resurrected on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Please rate, subscribe, download wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Paul Hudrick, and I will talk to you next time.